You're listening to the Strong Towns Podcast. This is Chuck Marone with Strong Towns. Welcome back to the Strong Towns podcast. I'm just hopping on here real quick to let you know that I am going to be out of town for a while. The podcast is going to be dark for a couple of weeks. We thought about like rerunning some old stuff. Just go ahead and scroll back. Like if if you are new here and our audience is, is way, way, way up. So a lot of you are new. There's a ton of stuff here in the archive. Most of it is evergreen, evergreen conversation. So Go back and listen to something from the archive. I promise you it'll have some value. Don't go back too far. No, I'm just kidding. You can go back way to the beginning if you want. I don't know. We've done something like 600 some episodes now. So there's a lot of content, a lot of conversation out there. I'm going to be taking a couple of weeks off. I will be at CNU in Oklahoma City. If you're going to be there, let me know. If you're a member of Strong Towns, you've probably gotten some stuff that we've uh, emailed you about that opportunity to get together, hang out with other Strong Towns people, chat with me, chat with the team. The entire Strong Towns team, we're doing our staff retreat there. And so we're having everybody going to be in town. And so if you want to meet up with us, uh, be pretty great. And CNU is just ah, it's so much fun to have this back in person again. I was in Seaside last weekend as part of the Seaside Award Ceremony. Jeff Speck, if you've listened to this podcast, you heard him on. He won the Seaside Award this year. It was fantastic to be able to get together outside, outdoors with people, in person, be able to chat. All, a bunch of my friends, a bunch of my colleagues, coworkers, people I've collaborated with over the years. Great to sit down and, and catch up and have that experience. So come to CNU in Oklahoma City. It's the third week of uh, March, or the fourth week of March. I don't know, somewhere. <laughs> it's in March. Come to uh, CNU and, and we will have a great time. I'm walking out the door, having spent the bulk of this week working on some proposals as part of the nonprofit world you wind up working on grant proposals and other such things from time to time. And this week was just a very busy week with that. We've created this organization where the bulk of the revenue comes from members and member support, comes from you. That has made us very resilient, very strong, right? It's given us this really broad base of support. The typical member Gives us, I, th I think the average donation last year was $58. Some people give us $5 a month. Some people give us $50 a month. Some people give us a one-time gift of whatever amount. All this stuff adds up in a really meaningful way. And it means that as an organization, we've got this broad base of support. We've been going through a strategic planning process. And if I could summarize our old plan, it really was about building a movement. Strong Downs started as a blog, started as a set of ideas, a set of insights that were novel and unique that a, a lot of people we found were interested in and could see themselves in. And as we sat down in kind of those early days and asked the question, you know, what do we do with these ideas? There was a whole bunch of different 
approaches we came up with, a whole bunch of different things we, we thought we could do. But we asked the question, you know, how do we have the biggest impact? How do we actually change the world and the way we want to see it changed? How do we fix the North American development pattern? And what we recognize is that we were never going to overwhelm it with resources. We were never going to raise enough money to, you know, defeat the trillion dollar a year development industry. We were never going to have lobbyists and, uh, you know, politicians and, and, and the whole thing. At the time, I think our annual budget was like, I don't know, like $60,000 and our our audience was like 85,000 a year. It was a, we are a very small niche kind of thing. And so what we came up with as a strategy is that we needed to build a movement. We needed to actually get enough people in our audience, enough members in our organization to have our voice actually matter, have these kind of niche ideas be less niche and or niche, I'm sorry, I'm from Minnesota, so, you know, forgive me. Have, have them break out of that and become more mainstream. We needed to build a movement. And so the strategic plan we adopted in 2015 set out to do that. It set out to help us create a media strategy to build a movement. It's, it's been fascinating to me because we basically are until recently have been a content marketing machine. I mean, that's basically what we do. We produce content, we distribute that content, and, and we use that to inspire people to take action in their communities. I've come to know the content marketing business really well. Most people who do content marketing have a product they're trying to sell or a, a service they're trying to sell, and they do content marketing as their add-on to that we don't have that. We're just trying to sell ideas, right? We're trying to sell insights and ideas. And it's made our content marketing approach like really, really effective. Our budget this year is $1.2 million. We will reach, you know, well over 2 million people this year. We reached over 2 million people last year, 2 million unique URLs just on our website alone. That doesn't include, you know, social media where we have a, a huge reach. It uh, doesn't count this podcast and other podcasts we do. It doesn't count videos and and all that stuff. Just on our website, we'll reach over 2 million people this year. That That's a movement, right? We have, th th I was going to say, 3,200, slightly less than 3,200 members as of March 1st. And so that has also grown. And we are a movement now. We, we definitely... Yeah, I think sometimes in the early days we said, you know, the Strong Towns movement, people would comment on our on the site. They'd say, well, what do you mean by movement? Like, who is a movement? It's just you. And some, in, certainly in some of the early days, it, it was just me. But then, you know, you peek your head up and, uh, wow, it's more than just me. And, and, and now it's a lot more than just me. There's 14 of us that work here at Strong Towns. Not all of us full-time, but I think there's eight full-time and, and six part-time or something like that. So... You know, the organization has grown a lot. As we look to update our strategic plan, as we think about like what comes next, what we've recognized is that we have built a movement. We have built a movement of individuals who want to see this change happen. You know, over 3,200 members, people who have said, we support the direction that you're going and we support it so much 
that, you know, we're going to chip in five bucks a month or we're going to give you 20 bucks or we're going to do whatever. That is huge. That's enormous. And it gives us like tremendous capacity and tremendous ability to, to do a, a lot of things. We feel a responsibility right now, right, to continue to, to do more and to really take this movement and say, how do we have this thing we've built result in more policy change on the ground, more actual impact in the places that people live? I've been shocked and amazed at how much impact we've had up to this point, especially since you know, we literally have just been spreading ideas. We've not been uh, focused a, a whole lot on how we actually turn those ideas into action. But, you know, if you've been here for a while, you know, over the last year, that's been our shift in focus. How do we actually take action? We called last year the year of action. How do we shift to an approach where not only are we continuing to grow and expand this movement in size and scope and influence, but how do we then take that energy and direct it towards high impact kind of things? Our new strategic plan is designed to address this. One of the things that we've looked at is, are there places that we can push? Are there places where we can kind of exert our capacity that will have coattails in terms of policy change? Where if we can shift one thing, a bunch of other things will follow in its wake. And we've actually identified five campaigns that we're going to initiate five campaigns that are designed to have that effect, things that we can push on that we think will have long-term coattails for the, the rest of what we're trying to accomplish as an organization in terms of changing the North American development pattern. I'm not going to go through all those. I mean, out of respect for my board and the advisory board and the, like the other people who have been working on this, it's not finalized yet, so we still have some discussion to do. I'm pretty confident, though, the one is going to be there in the end because it's it's a very logical extension of the other work we've been doing, and that's the Safe and Productive Streets campaign. We want to shift the way we look at streets from being about the throughput of automobiles to the prosperity of people, to you know the productivity that comes along with wealth creation and the broad safety of individuals in that space. That shift is something that you know we've worked on for many years. We've talked about for many years. We've put out ideas for many years. And the, the question becomes, how do we accelerate that? How do we do that? And so we've put together this thing that we're calling the Crash Analysis Studio. This is what I was working on grant requests this week, we would like to really go after this idea that human error is the cause of most automobile crashes, or that human error is the dominant factor in deaths and traumatic injuries that we see on our streets and roadways. There's a a report that, you know, is widely cited, but also widely debunked and widely, I think, ridiculed. Uh, that says that 94% of all crashes are caused by human error. That, that is a joke. That is a, that is a joke of a statistic. But it's a statistic that is widely distributed because much like the reckless driver narrative we've been talking about here lately, it's very easy to believe, right? It does something to us psychologically. It allows us to 
consider things safe or consider ourselves safe if we're not, you know, one of the unlucky ones who does have a crash that ends up this way. And it allows us to, in a sense, assess blame within a system, a system dominated by, you know, insurance companies and attorneys and, and just, you know, litigation or litigiousness. It fits very well into that aspect of our culture, but it's wrong, right? It's wrong. We think that if we can shift the way people think about crashes and who is to blame for crashes and, and how blame should be thought of when it comes to crashes, that we can actually you know, shift a lot of things. And so we're setting up this thing called the Crash Analysis Studio. And, and very quickly, I mean, there's a lot to this. It's a rather big proposal and, and we're going out for some a significant amount of funding to make this happen because we, we want to do it and we want to do it at the scale that we're now capable of doing it, right? If you go back five years ago, it would have been a very small scale. Now we can reach lots and lots of people. We can leverage this for huge, huge gain. And so we're setting up to do that. We're gearing up to do that. The idea is we want to identify crashes that have taken place where someone has died or there's been a, a very serious injury and we want to, with a team of technical and non-technical people, people we would consider experts on streets and experts on that neighborhood, people like engineers and, and urban designers and transportation people, but also people like advocates for the elderly, people who do bike and walking, people who live in the neighborhood itself, people who are the true experts on the place. We want to gather them together do this on Zoom. We want to broadcast it, let everybody watch it. And we want to go through and, and somewhat NTSB style, you know, like a plane crash happens and you step back and say, what are all the factors that cause this plane crash? We want to step back and look at this crash and say, okay, we've got the police report. The police report says X, you know, this much to blame here, there. We got the insurance site reconstruction and all that. But let's take a step back and actually evaluate all the factors that went into creating this crash. We want to look at design. We want to look at the cultural expectations. We want to look at the approaches in different ways. We want to look at the context, the land use. We want to look at all of this and, and, and start to understand what are the things that actually go into a crash. Uh, it's far more than just user error. That's far, far more than that. We want to do this publicly. We want people to watch us have this conversation. We want people to be able to watch us make sausage, in a sense. We want to do this many, many times. We're hopefully going to get funding to do this 18 times at least in a row. 18 different sites, 18 different places. Of course, we're going to coordinate with the local media. We're going to coordinate with national media. We're going to do marketing around this. We're going to get this message out broad and wide. When we do these things, we're going to put together a report with our findings for each one. We're going to put together a transcript. We're going to have an archive. The idea here is to create a body of knowledge, a body of work that would say, if you are serious about addressing crashes, particularly fatal and traumatic crashes in your community, here is a way that you can go about doing this. Here's a way that you can take those tragedies and actually, with some introspection and, and you know, thought, turn those into learning experiences that will change your 
approach to building and designing places. We want to pioneer this body of work. We want to get this body of work out there so that others can copy the procedure and the technique. And even in places where they don't want to, you know, copy the procedure and technique, we want to find the commonalities in these crashes so that others can, can learn from that. We're trying to create basically like a new practice or an expanded practice of street design. What is street design and learning from our mistakes and learning from the things that happen in our system? How does that iterative feedback loop happen? That's something I've been working on. We've been working on it uh, quite deeply, quite a lot. And uh, we're going to be, you know, going out looking for funding. We're looking for large amounts of money to, to make this happen. And like I said, to do it the right way, to do it so that it leverages everything that we've built in terms of internal infrastructure to be able to get this message out in a way that is really, really compelling. Simultaneous with that, we also have this thing we've been working on for a while that we've come to call the Community Action Lab. And I'm going to go through this really quick, and then I'm going to be done here and head out the door, and I'm going to talk to you in a couple of weeks. We've had a couple of places that have contacted us that have said, we're all in on Strong Towns. We think this is the most important stuff going on. We, we, we have bought in. We're there. But we need our community to catch up. We want the community to be brought up to speed as quickly as possible. And sure, we can do an event. That would be great. But we want something more than that. We feel like we need a real jumpstart. Tell us what to do. And quite frankly, I think, you know, when we first started to have these conversations about six, seven months ago, I was a little overwhelmed by the prospect, right? It's a little overwhelmed by what, what this meant. I'm like, we, we do really well creating content. We do events. We do, we do a lot. But like, how would we go about doing this kind of a community transformation? Yet throughout the last five, six years, we've gotten variations on this request many, many, many times. And so we sat down as a group and we said, okay, well, if we were going to use the things that we do that we're good at, and we were going to leverage those to actually have this kind of community change come about, what would we do? Like, how would we do that? And we came up with this thing that we've called the Community Action Lab. This is a 12-month engagement with a 12-month kind of follow-up period, so a two-year kind of program. Uh, but the first year is the, the very intense year. And the idea is, you know, really to take everything that we do at Strong Towns and leverage it in a place to try to shift the overall conversation in that place. We're talking about events, you know, a series of events throughout the year, uh, speaking events, walking tours, workshops, that kind of thing. Um, we're talking about content, right? Taking this massive back catalog of thousands and thousands of content pieces we've created, many of them evergreen, many of them you know, that we've tested out and refined over the years that are really, really compelling. And using our marketing approach, our, you know, social media approach and, and, and what have you to pump these messages out and engage people in a specific place, in a specific market. It also involves things like our Strong Towns Academy and how do we train a group of people to actually apply Strong Towns principles? How do we help them 
with the challenges that they have now today, rethink about those challenges in Strongtown's terms so that they can get momentum as they go. So the idea here is to, I talk about it in terms of the, uh, the Jonathan Haidt idea of how we create change, the analogy of the elephant and the rider and the path. And if you if you don't know this, I would strongly recommend a book by uh, Chip Heath, I think is the guy's name. It's an orange book. I can't remember what the name of it is. It's something about like how to make change. But if you just type in elephant rider path, you will get a whole bunch of stuff on this. The idea is that we are all driven by narrative, by emotion, by the instincts that we have internal to ourselves. These are the most compelling things to us. And Jonathan Haidt analogizes this to an elephant, right? An elephant is a big creature. It's a creature that is going to go where it wants to go. And if you decide that, like, uh, you know, the elephant, I want to go in a different direction, but the elephant doesn't want to go in that direction, it's really hard to get it to shift. This is our like internal subconscious, our internal essence of who we are. If, if you are like me and you really like sweets, your elephant is kind of motivated to like sweets, right? And if sweets are lying around, if there's a plate of cookies, your elephant is going to say, eat those cookies, right? Now, there's also the rider, and the rider sits atop the elephant, and the rider, in a theoretical sense, steers the direction of the elephant. The rider is our rational selves, our rational way of thinking about things. And so I may like sweets, but I may tell myself rationally, uh, sweets are not good for me. I need to lose some weight. I need to cut back on my sugar intake. And so don't eat those sweets. And what you find is that there's this, there's this conflict between the rider and the elephant. If the rider wants something and the elephant does not, the elephant is big, the elephant is strong, the elephant is going to win. No matter what the rider does, the rider is a sense at the mercy of the elephant. Even though the rider can be negotiated with, right? The rider is the rational part. So I may, I may in my brain say, I don't wanna eat sweets, I'm not going to eat sweets, I'm not gonna do that. Um, and then I find myself in a room with a bunch of cookies and what do I do? I, I, I have too many, right? That's the, that's the conflict between the rider and the elephant. The, the thing you need to do is you need to get your elephant and your rider aligned, right? You have to motivate the elephant. You have to get the elephant to want to go in a certain direction. And you can't do that by having the rider just tug on them, just say, well, this is the best way. You actually have to dig into and understand the motivations of the elephant and you have to respond to those motivations. If you want to see change, you can't fight the elephant. You actually have to work with it. And so the idea here uh, is, you know, the elephant in a community is the basic like underlying community conversation. If we want to see broad change happen, how do we help that, you know, occur in a community? How do we motivate a community? How do we engage with people where they are with their values and their priorities and their ways of discussing things and you know move them along or motivate them to make a change. This is what Strong Towns has done for 12 years now. I mean, this is basically like 
the premise of how we've operated our, our, our content machine. But the idea of like doing this specifically in a community is, is an interesting challenge that we're, uh, you know, about to take on in a very big way. The writer then is, you know, the rational side, right? The leadership, the people who are making decisions. Um, oftentimes we struggle because we can get decision makers to say, yes, like we're in them with a strong downs approach. But they step back and they say, you know, the elephant, the community, the broader conversation is motivated in a different direction. We need to get those two aligned. So the idea is, is getting them aligned. There's this third concept, the path, that basically is an acknowledgement that once you get the elephant and the rider aligned and moving in the same direction, once you get the inner motivation and the inner inspiration of the community moving in a certain direction, and once you get the rational drivers of that moving in the same direction, so we're all going the same way, the thing we need to do now is clear the path, right? Get obstacles out of the path so you can keep picking up momentum and keep moving this way. And so the idea is to uh, you know, create what we're calling an action team, to train those people in, to take the problems and the struggles and the challenges that they have now and help them reimagine them or re-understand them or reinterpret them through a strong town's lens with a strong town's set of solutions. I I've been doing this for years. It's a ridiculously powerful thing to sit with a bunch of people who say, I want to change, I want to do this different. Help me think about this. And you do, and they're like, oh, wow, wow. This is clearing the path. So the community action lab that we're coming up with is an engagement in a place where we would go into that place over the course of a year, try to motivate the elephant or respond to the elephant's motivations and inspirations to help uh, align the elephant with the rational side, uh, uh, the rider, you know, the rational decision-making people who are responding to evidence and data and what have you, and get all of that going in the same direction and then work with this team to clear obstacles out of the past so we can pick up momentum and really see substantive change. This is exciting. It's really exciting. It not only is making substantive change on the ground, but it's tapping into a whole bunch of things in our organization that we do really well, that we're like prepared to do, that we're experts in, that we can actually affect change on a broad, replicable kind of scale. So we put two of those proposals together this week too. We have three different communities that are interested in this. The first one was contacting us and badgering us and being like, get me this, this is what we want to do. And we finally relented and put it together. And when we did, we're like, oh, I kind of like this. As we did that, another community contacted us and said, we would like to do the same thing in two different places. And we sent them the original uh, stuff we had put together and they said, this is what we want in our place. So now we're putting together a proposal for three of these. And there's a fourth one that's actually contacted us in this week. And we, we sent them the same thing. And they're like, yes, this is exactly what we're looking for. So all of a sudden, we're being asked to do a, a, a lot and a lot that uh, I think, you know, aligning with where I see our updated strategic plan going is actually going to take the strengths of the movement that we've built and now go to the next step and see them turn into policy change on the ground. This is ridiculously exciting. And before I left on a little uh, family vacation, a, a little rest and recovery time, I wanted to just share 
what I've been working on, what crowded out a more substantive podcast for this week and, and podcast for next week as well. What was crowding that out and what's crowding that out right now is this idea that, you know, we have these very substantive things that we're working on that uh, we're now looking for, you know, partners to fund and support. And uh, I think we have a really good chance of getting some of this. We're in a position to actually do this in a way that I don't think any other organization could really do. So it's a very exciting time. I just went through like a couple things. There's a whole bunch more and I could sit here and go through them. Uh, I would be getting a little bit ahead of my board and the rest of my team and all that. So I'm, I'm, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to allow those things to develop a little bit more. Um, but know that, you know, as we get a little bit further out into this, uh, we will be coming back to members, briefing them on it, getting their feedback, their thoughts. Uh, we will be rolling these out in a more coordinated and, and thoughtful way. We are making a very important shift here at Strong Towns from building a movement exclusively to now continuing to build and grow the movement, but also uh, affect substantive, broad scale, accelerating levels of change on the ground. And that, my friends, is a very exciting place to be. I hope you're all doing well. It's been a long, cold winter here in Minnesota, and, and we're at that point in time in March where we're like ready to be done with it, but it's not ready to be done with us. And so the family is escaping to warmer places for a couple of weeks here. I get to travel a lot uh, with work, but my wife and children do not. And so I've looked at their their faces and said, they need a break from this. So we're going to go someplace warm for a little bit. We'll be back very soon. By the time you get this, we'll probably be back. So uh, I wish you well. Uh, wish me well. We'll keep thinking of each other. And you keep doing what you can to build a strong town. We will continue to keep doing what we can to support you in that effort. And uh, hope to see you all soon. Take care, everybody. They know that America's one big pothole right now. Bill, 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 Bill. That's a story. Chuck Marone, this has been fascinating. Who made the city? I like you. I like your vision of the of the world. The United Nations Earth Summit, Agenda 21. Yeah.